You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you just want to ask your mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Before we get started, I just want to remind you to go to our website, justaskyourmom.com. Up at the top of the Get Featured uh, tab, you can record an outro for us and be featured at the end of our podcast. So please do that. It's super fun. It's been so fun to hear from some of our listeners. We want to hear from more of you. Love it. Well, one of the most highly discussed and debated topics among parents today is the dreaded screen time How much is too much and what impact will screens have on our children's development? Not sure we even know all of the answers to that yet. But amid these questions, the World Health Organization issued guidelines last year on the amount of time young children should spend in front of screens. And I believe they're recommending no time at all for children under two and then up to an hour for kids three to four. Yeah, that's what they said. Uh, I was trying to think back when we were raising our kids how much I did. I probably did about an hour Mm -hmm. in those preschool years, three to four years old. I would do a 30-minute show in the morning and the evening. And that's just TV is what you and I are talking about. Right, right. Because yeah, but we any didn't screen. have those other that's screens right. later on. That's right. Yeah, but any screen at all. Um, and we were just on vacation, and I noticed at a table nearby, there was a mom. She had several children and one a baby in her arms that she was trying to keep quiet, and she just put her phone up there, up against the um, umbrella on the table, and it had, like, pop-up um, – I don't know. It was like a whack-a-mole thing, like pop-up things to distract the baby. And this is like six months old, maybe. Yuck. And I could just oh, no. see the baby like um, totally zoning in on that. I thought it was interesting that the visual uh, draw of that was super strong, even in a really young age child. It's totally strong. When we have Dottie at our house, we have a digital picture frame that turns on when you walk by it. Oh, okay. So, you know, if we have an open concept downstairs, so we were in the kitchen. She's in her little seat on top of the kitchen island having dinner. We're feeding her dinner. Uh And very, like, wild-flavored foods, too, by the way. Refer to our (laughs) French foods podcast. I was so proud of her. She was eating all kinds of crazy stuff. And she kept looking over her shoulder because that digital picture frame that was probably 25 feet away from her Mm. was scrolling, slowly scrolling through pictures. And she kept looking over her shoulder and looking over her shoulder. Wow. That one thing in the room that was a screen. Nine months old she is. Nine months old. Yep. She was drawn to it. It's so powerful. It's interesting. Just to notice it in your own children, how... You know, that over everything else in over the whole room. Over everything else in the room. Yeah. That's right. So the Pew Research Center noted that parents, and you hear this a lot, are apprehensive about the long-term effects of smartphones on children's development. I think 71% of us believe the use of smartphones by young children might potentially result in more harm than good. We hear about internet addiction, phone addiction, technology addiction, whatever you call it. A lot of parents are expressing worries that their children are becoming addicted to their devices. Yeah. And so what parents are worried about is usually two things. The sheer amount of time that their kids are spending on screens and their kids' resistance to cutting back at all on Mm -hmm. screen time. 
Mm-hmm. Getting them to put away their devices, come to dinner, engage in other activities, go outside or do their homework without checking social media or streaming shows on YouTube seems to be an increasingly uphill battle. Mm, that's right. Um, so many kids themselves use the word to describe their own behavior. Um, two, six, 2016 survey by Common Sense Media, half of the teenagers said they feel they're addicted to their mobile device. Three quarters said they felt compelled to immediately respond to text, social media posts, and other notifications. And I honestly, to be honest, most adults are not far behind that. You know, they're right up there with them. Yeah, it's true. And we, I did a, a kind of a trial, I guess, with a classroom of high schoolers when I was tutoring at a homeschool tutorial. And I just said, okay, we're going to... Um, institute some boundaries on our technology you get to choose them though you choose the hours where you are away from your phone so mm-hmm. it's just put away you're, and you're working which doesn't that seem logical like if you're working on schoolwork that you would have your phone put away no which, not at all it's which you know I, a public school teacher recently posted on social media how teachers are increasingly unable to even teach mm-hmm. because of airpods and phones mm-hmm. in classrooms it's just impossible apple watches it's just everywhere it's everywhere well my students they were so honest i appreciated their transparency several of them came back and said they couldn't even concentrate Mm -hmm. with their phone in another room and that's been shown again and again they got anxiety yeah because it's like um you've been taught to listen for it almost like a baby's cry Mm -hmm. like for that text to come in or that buzz or whatever you're listening your radar are constantly on, so you're not focusing as well. You're not concentrating as well. You're doing much more poorly on testing, things like that, if your phone is not near you. So it's moms affecting our brains. of young children, don't do that. Let's let's stop this before it's happening. You know, yeah. I feel like some of us, our kids, we kind of, this technology kind of came around, arose as our children were growing. So they didn't have access to it their mm-hmm. whole childhoods. But at the same time, we also didn't know perhaps how addictive it might be or right. how captivating. So when it did come on the scene, I think we we're all like, this is cool. Let's all do this. To survive in this modern world, you need to know how to do all this. Right. And it kind of went poof, right on top of us before mm-hmm. we knew what was happening. So, yeah. um, and a lot of listeners, I know parents themselves grew up. Those are the people that are growing up being parents now. So I think you have an idea of what it's like to grow up with that. And you can change things and we can collectively change that if we work together and sort of live in community um, it makes it a lot less lonely for the rest of us a lot less lonely for your kids if you're not they're not the only ones with some boundaries going on right some healthy boundaries I think that's kind of what we're advocating for Um, and today we're talking about this book by Dr. Nicholas Cardaris and he wrote this book called Glow Kids which I highly recommend it was really earth shattering to me in a lot of ways when I read it how screen addiction is hijacking our kids and how to break that trance. Um, he was in, he, he mentions he went to on a vacation to Greece and there's this beautiful Mediterranean, you know, display outside of the water and the sand and these beautiful white homes. And he went into a cafe and he noticed this glow from way down in the basement of this cafe. And he went down there and there were these two kids, American kids sitting down there in this cafe glued to a screen. They're playing a game. When all this beauty is outside, you know, around them. Oh, wow. And that was their Greek vacation. So it's kind of started them down this road of, of all the research that went into this book. It's super interesting. So interesting. He wrote an editorial for the New York Post and coined the phrase mm-hmm. digital heroin, 
where he compared the addictive potential of screens, video games, social media, smartphones, to the drug heroin. Yep. The article hit a nerve. Six million views later, the term digital heroin has entered our popular culture. So, today is the first installment of probably a three-part series. I think so. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. On screens and kids. This is your thing, isn't it, Bonnie? It is. I kind of have a... I don't, we all have a love-hate relationship, I think, with technology. It it annoys the heck out of us, and it's super useful. Right. So, right. Yeah. I, I'm interested in what it's doing. I see the way parents interact or don't with their kids. Mm-hmm. I saw what happened in my own family with it, and it's just interesting. I think more and more people are starting to come out and be brave and say, like, we don't have to be tied to this. We don't have to be chained to it. Right. So let's give our own personal kind of experiences with technology in our own families before we get started into what Dr. Cardaris says in Glow Kids. So I allowed a couple of 30-minute TV shows. So we would watch one 30-minute TV show in the morning and one in the afternoon after nap in those early years, preschool years. We did allow Houston to have a handheld video game like a Game Boy. And then in the upper elementary years, we bought a Wii for family nights. Is that even a thing anymore? I don't I don't know, but we, we thought, oh, this will be fun. Like you can pretend to bowl while you're standing up, you know, mm-hmm. moving around. Um, Emma reminded me that we made them help pay for that Wii. I don't even remember that. Oh, interesting. Emma got a flip phone when she began babysitting at age 11 because a lot of our neighbors didn't have home phones. They were those young families were already transitioning to cell phones only, mm-hmm. and I freaked out when I realized she was keeping a baby, baby. with no phone in case mm-hmm. there was an emergency. And then our kids had smartphones in high school. And then Houston, as he got older, would play Call of Duty with David. Sometimes he would play video games with Ben when we lived in different states, yep. which I kind of liked for them to stay connected. Houston said I had strict rules on how long he could play video games. The timing. And yeah, like an hour or less or something like that, which mm-hmm. I don't recall the exact restrictions. But Emma told me when I told her we were doing this episode, she said if he hadn't started his timer when he walked in, she, as the second mom, nominated herself <laughs> as the second mom, made sure that. I'm not at all surprised. <laughs> not at all. Then she was like, you need to turn your timer on. And he's like, okay, I'll set it now. She goes, oh no, 10 minutes off or 15 minutes off. <laughs> Emma, such a firstborn child. <laughs> yep. And she was never as interested in video games. I didn't even have to set a time limit because she didn't really care. No, Savannah didn't either. And I think that's probably true across the board. A lot of times it's more male oriented Mm -hmm. so in my life i personally grew up watching saturday morning cartoons and some tv in the afternoons um my mom like everybody else in that age watched the soap operas speaking of addiction and my own kids just like you uh would watch maybe a show in the morning a show in the afternoon we had a minivan with the pull down screen for movies on long trips so we watched a lot of movies to pass the time and Back in the day, there used to be an outcry, the same kind of outcry about TV, too, that it was turning our brains to mush and it was not letting us go outside as much. But I think with TV, there may be more like of a storyline, a plot going on than just like an endless scroll. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But the content of TV shows when TV first came out versus today's, uh, it's certainly giving a story, but it might be one that's not the greatest for our worldview. Um, so TV is not just the old reliable that it once was. Even cartoons. Even right. kids' cartoons. I mean, and think about it. Let's let's be honest. The cartoons that you and I watched, like, 
Bugs Bunny is violent. It, yes. <laughs> yes, it People was. are getting like boulders dropped on them, hit over the head with sledgehammers, you yeah. know, tripping, uh-huh. chasing, which is reminding me that's all the same kind of things my brothers and I were doing to each other. Oh, chasing each other through totally. the house, tackling. Chicken totally. or the egg, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Oh. And so Ben, too, he played, he played Call of Duty with Houston. I hated that game. I did too, but we let it in anyway. We, I know David and I disagreed on this. We this was one of the only like things we had to actually truly compromise on. Yeah, I I didn't love it either. And Bob was like, yeah, yeah, it's just a guy thing. We gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta play this. Mm-hmm. So they played it. They often played it together. Yep, uh, ours he, did too. He had a Game yep. Boy, and so that's we sort of justified it by saying it's a thing that you can do with Dad. You know, I don't know. If that was the best decision. Was that a mistake? I don't know. He, ben would say, no, it's fine. He's right. 20, he's 22 now. I'm, I'm glad to be reminded by Houston that I had strict rules, which he said he hated at the time, but he appreciated now that he's older and can look back. Yeah. Um, we had other like educational computer games that he actually played on our PC, like that you had to use a CD for. Where um, in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah. That was a fun one. Pajama Sam and Freddie Fish. And Nancy Drew Detective. <laughs> Right. And Savannah was not interested in video games at all. And middle school for her is when the first flip phones were coming out. And so um, she was later than most to get a flip phone. But then when she got it, boy, she had it in earnest. And yeah. it, was, it became life itself. Yeah. So I think that is true for a lot of girls. The girls are into the phones. The guys are into the video games. It is. It does seem to be a general rule. Mm-hmm. And there's there are dangers to both of those that we'll get into yep. as we progress through this, this information. And that's just the children. Parents are very distracted. Again, from the Pew Research Center, they noted that parents themselves are grappling with their own device distractions. When asked if they spend too much, too little, or not enough time on their phones, more than half of parents overall said they spend too much time on their smartphones, mm-hmm. while about 7 in 10 say they are at least sometimes distracted by their phone when spending time with their children. Yeah. So back on a marriage podcast we did, we talked about this word, fubbing. Do you remember that? I do. You taught me that word. <laughs> it is. Um, every so often, your spouse or your child or other humans in the room will give you a bid for attention. This could be, hey, look at this story. It could be verbal. It could be nonverbal. And I think so many of these nonverbal ones go unnoticed with our spouses, with our friends, and with our kids, frankly, because um, we're on our phones. So we don't notice that glance. Hey, is mom watching me? Mm. Or from the husband, hey, can I ask you this question yet? Oh, no, you're not done. I'll just wait. Right. Um, So we're choosing our phone instead of them. So our children learn to stop trying and they've done Mm. studies on this. They just, they know, oh, the phone's in the hand. I shouldn't even bother. So I think this also affects language development. When I was, when my kids were little and maybe I'm more verbal than other people, I don't know. It was a constant daily narration. And I think um, this is where language development comes from. Hey, we're in the grocery store. Look at all the pretty cans along here. What colors do you see? I see green cans. I see blue cans. You know, you're just constantly narrating. Right. And they're right. learning from that. They're picking up vocabulary. Um, you're not narrating anything if you're scrolling. Wow. So that's that true. language development um, is delayed a lot of times. Mm. And can we just take one minute to talk about YouTube? Because 
it's just ubiquitous anymore. Um, 89% of parents of a child aged 5 to 11 say their child watches videos on YouTube. This is from Pew Research. 89% and 81% say it if they have a child aged 3 to 4. And 57% if they have a child aged 2 or younger, which the World Health Organization already said, no screen time right for ages 2 and under. So, and, and besides that, YouTube can autoplay the next video and the next video and the next oh, video. Right. And so... And the pop-up ads and the, come on. That's mm-hmm. right. And, and all of the things that you're letting in and have just allowing time to slip away. Um, it's just such an easy babysitter. Mm, yep. Um, it's But it's it's not good. The video, it's not good. <laughs> and they're not just playing video games, but now they've got YouTube and they're watching videos of other people playing video games. Oh, it's just ridiculous. So it just sort of is this endless loop of how do I get better in my video game? I'm going to watch this other video for the video game. And it never ends. Uh, this is maybe unrelated, but I just heard literally on the way over here, Renee, you're, you will appreciate this one. Oh, no. <laughs> that... Uh, I believe it was yesterday. There was a girl on posted something on TikTok. She went into the hospital in labor, and uh, the father of the child came in. It was going to be a long time because it was induced, so they knew it was going to take a while. Right. So he brings in not his phone, but his entire gaming system into the <gasps> delivery room, hooks it up to the TV. You know, he got all these wires and HDMI cables and all this stuff going on because he's like, well. This is going to be boring. I'm just going to be sitting here, <gasps> so I might as well have something to do, so he can play his video games while she is having his baby <laughs> oh, no. in the bedroom. In oh. bed. Yeah. So I wondered how you would think about that. Uh, I think bad. I think bad. I think that's a bad dad move. I think that's she a bad husband move too. or boyfriend move or whoever he was to her. She put that on. I think she agreed with you because she put it on TikTok as like a uh, excuse me. I know so bad hello oh my goodness wow 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 yeah so it's i think we've made our point it's everywhere and and the question is not you know are you going to use screens it's how can you minimize it mm-hmm. how can you how can you put some boundary markers around it uh, so that it does not just take over your life and i will tell you that you will have to do this again and again yeah it's not a one and done mm-hmm. kind of a thing it is everywhere and it is changing our brains it is changing our brains as this book has convinced me so a super interesting aspect of this book that i just was like wow you know you're right is that tons of schools now use screens they're using smart boards and ipads and some of them you know every child it's every child's right to have a laptop and an ipad and a clicker in their hand and full disclosure my kids on purpose went to a magnet school that was specifically for technology and communication. We had fundraisers every year for more and better tech in the classrooms so they could practice broadcasting and presentations and all the rest. Um, And they did. They came out super able to do a PowerPoint presentation. Um, Super familiar with technology. From like early on, because I know they were in a magnet school from the very beginning. So even kindergarten. Yes, was it was k-8 at the time yeah mm-hmm. well okay so we had the opposite experience we as you know we homeschooled and we had very little exposure to technology and education until junior high and high school um, and in my experience because that's the world i've lived in and taught in lots of homeschoolers are behind in the technology world but the question is can they catch up 
Exactly. And uh, I think Dr. Cardaris would say, yes, mm-hmm. they, they can catch up. Sort of like um, my philosophy, how we didn't put our children in any kind of sports or lessons at age three or four or five, mm-hmm. because those eight and nine-year-olds catch up with those children mm-hmm. within six months of taking on a sport. I think it's the same with this technology, but even later. You can introduce it even later. Right. Just a quote from page three in the opening of the book. He writes, there is not one credible research study that shows a child exposed to more technology earlier in life has better educational outcomes than a tech-free kid. Not one Mm -hmm. credible study. While there is some evidence that screen-exposed kids may have some increased pattern recognition abilities, there just isn't any research that shows they become better students or better learners. That's right. They don't do better on tests. Crazy. They don't don't study better. They don't do any of that. And, And he says later on, it has an even more pronounced effect for underprivileged kids. Mm. Um, and technology and there's a push there's a great big push to put um, technology in schools earlier and earlier and especially for communities and under advantaged disadvantaged communities Um, so like you said so they can catch up so they can be right there with the rest of the pack but it actually has an adverse effect wow it's actually having the opposite effect on those communities which i thought was super interesting this was shocking to me he said that brain imaging research is showing that glowing screens like iPads are as stimulating to the brain's pleasure center and is able to increase levels of dopamine, the feel-good neurotransmitter, as much as sex. Hmm. So you wonder why Dottie's looking at that from across the room, 25 <laughs> feet away. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's because it's, it's doing something for her. It is activating something in her brain or she wouldn't be looking at it at that age. She doesn't know enough. That's right. She doesn't know that it's going to give her something, but her brain is telling her, oh, I like that what's next wow that's really it should set off an alarm bell so it's also screens are also again and again correlated with adhd addiction anxiety depression increased aggression and psychosis china which i thought was so interesting has identified another disorder they're calling it an internet addiction disorder as its number one health crisis for over a billion people in that country so why are we putting screens in schools yeah I think it's a money-driven push by non-educators. Wow. Wow. Each iPad is, what, $199? If you can put one of those in every kindergarten, guess how much money that is in your bank? $199. They must be getting a big discount. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah. He quotes another statistic that 97, this was, this is a statistic from 2008, by the way. So it it may be even more. Oh, you know it's more than that now. 97% of all American children between the ages of two and 17 play video games. Mm -hmm. What? Right. I mean, you can download an app in about five seconds on your phone, which counts as a video game. Ah! How Candy Crush or um, Wordle or Words with Friends or whatever the newest craze is. And... Yes, it's a it's a it's a word game. It's educational. But how much time are you spending on that? That is crazy to me. So he has some interesting information on ADHD and screens. Okay. Bonnie, can you tell us what he says about that? Yeah, he says that um, it's a vicious and addictive ADHD cycle. The more I stimulate a child, the more I need to keep stimulating that child in order to hold his or her attention. So this screens are hyper arousing and what is the common denominator of adhd 
It's like yeah. a hyperactivity. Yeah. So that hyper-stimulated child needs ever-increasing levels of visual stimulation to stay engaged. So the worst thing you can do for a kid with ADHD or a kid you don't even know is predisposed to ADHD, which are all of kids, who knows who's going to get that down the right, road, right? right? Who knows going to get that diagnosis, is to give them screens early. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to start with that stimulation and they need more and more of that stimulation until it becomes a behavior issue. He talks about how screen time is dulling our senses. That um, there was research by the German Psychological Association that studied a 20-year period. We're not talking about like a short little study here. And we're losing sensory awareness at a rate of 1% per year, they found over this longitudinal study. So the research began in the late 60s after teachers working at the university noticed that after the proliferation of television viewing in the 50s, which we were just talking about, that was our primary screen, children or students seemed to suffer from a severe reduction in their sensory awareness. They appeared less alert than previous generations to information from their surrounding environment, which in turn was adversely affecting their ability to learn. So according to the educator Joseph Chilton Pierce, author of Magical Child and the Biology of the Transcendence, he wrote this 15 years ago. This was in 2002. He wrote this 15 years ago. People could distinguish 300,000 sounds. Today, many children can't go beyond 100,000. A third. They can recognize a third of the sounds of 15 years previous. 20 years ago, the average subject could detect 350 different shades of a particular color. Today, the number is 130. Does that break your heart? It breaks my heart. it, It freaks me out. It's changing our brain development. Um, from a really young age, and I'm not sure that's reversible. Um, we don't know. What are we do doing we? to we ourselves know. as a species when we subject our youngest and most vulnerable members of society to this? Um, yeah. Scary. It's scary. So, and you don't have to do it. That's the thing. Like, there's so many other alternatives. Yeah, it's crazy. We don't have to. And listen, even Steve Jobs, before he died, he ended up being kind of anti-tech in the classroom. Right. As are a lot of the people who are (laughs) engineers of all the Google and Twitter and all the things. That's right. Many tech executives and engineers in Silicon Valley put their kids in no-tech Waldorf schools. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? They know what we're just discovering, Mm -hmm. that all that technology is not actually a benefit to children. And yeah, Jobs just said, I've probably spearheaded giving away more computer equipment to schools than anybody on the planet. But I've come to the conclusion that the problem is not one that technology can hope to solve. What's wrong with education cannot be fixed with technology. No amount of technology will make a dent. Mm-hmm. Right. It's some. It's way more than that. It's way more systemic problems that we have to address. And if Steve Jobs knows it, and if every person that they featured on social dilemma knows it then we should start paying attention yeah what are they seeing that we're not seeing that we're not reading about that we're not hearing about or we're just starting to right things that they already knew so another interesting element of this is that um i think we all know that 
our culture, our society, uh, the times that we live in, science has kind of stripped our culture of all of its myths, Mm -hmm. um, of all of its meaning. You know, we're just chemicals floating around. With no purpose. With no purpose. No design. But built within us is a search for meaning. It's a search for story. And if we can't get that through our normal, um, traditional means anymore, guess what? Steps into the void. Gaming. Yeah. It gives us meaning. It's a whole fantasy world. You can make an avatar into whoever you want it to be um, and communicate with entire villages of other avatars that are just like you. And you can be whoever you want to be in this um, virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So that that made me ask the question, like, if I were raising children right now, how would I inter- reintroduce wonder to my mm-hmm. children? Okay, first of all, children are built in wonder seekers. Yeah. Like they have a they have a higher um, ability to see wonder and everything than we do. Yeah, everything's new. So the first thing I would think I would tell my young self is don't squash what's already there. Mm-hmm. Don't allow them to take the lazy way out and um, bypass their imaginations with the screens. Right. So go outside. Go outside. Go outside. <laughs> go outside. Go outside. Go outside. Y- yes. Yes. That is number one. And then I would say number two, read a book. Read a book. Read. Read a book. Mm-hmm. And then read another book. And don't yes. stop reading books. Yes. It activates and triggers your imagination and your sense of empathy and interest in other cultures and other people. It teaches you so many things. And if you're tired and you're like, oh, I don't know how I can do one more thing and read aloud. There are so many books that are have been recorded even children's books mm-hmm. audiobooks you know we read aloud so much for homeschool three to four hours a day that there were days my voice was actually literally tired <laughs> it hurt my yeah. throat hurt and so we would especially as they got older enlist audiobooks yeah uh, on occasion but and certainly I know this um, really cool young family where the dad just recorded because he's going to be, you know, away at work during the day. He mm-hmm. recorded himself reading books to his children. I love that. That's what one and done. You can traveling. It yeah. connects you back to the person. I love that. You can play it again and again and again. Yeah. I just heard on The World and Everything in It this morning, uh, they were doing their children's book recommendation mm-hmm. series that comes out just about this time every year. And one of the journalists said one of the best gifts that her father-in-law gave their family was offering to come to their house one night a week and read aloud to her children. She said it was an extremely busy season of life. I was feeling like a failure because I couldn't do this. And um, she said most of the time he came to us, sometimes we went to them. That's awesome. What a beautiful gift. Instead of packing your kids in the car with all, schlepping them to the library or the bookstore for reading time or whatever, having a grandparent do that Mm -hmm. or a good close friend. Just beautiful. Awesome. In your own home. Oh, it's just lovely, lovely, lovely. Yeah. Reintroduce wonder for sure. And then let's talk about, you know, after you get past the elementary years, you, you know, even well, even in upper elementary, I remember this, there were cool kids, not cool kids. <laughs> right. And, the, you know, there's alienated children. And but they all have their drug of choice in terms of screens. In other words, just being the cool kid doesn't mean you're not going to have a draw to be in front of a screen. Oh, there's a different kind of draw for sure. Yeah, yeah, it could be, um, well, you see this with Instagram or with the girls, most Mm -hmm. often Instagram, texting, Twitter's kind of eh, not so much anymore, but um, 
yeah, TikTok Snapchat, is just, TikTok. It, you can curate your feed on TikTok. Mm-hmm. You tell them what you're interested in and then they just start feeding you. That's right. It, more and more and more. predictive and it knows you better than you know yourself. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of scary. Mm-hmm. So we've been seeing uh, in the past year, like a 40% increase in teenage girls coming out with ticks. Have you heard this? Yes, I have. Tourette's symptoms because there are one or two girls on TikTok who actually had the syndrome who were posting things about it and it was getting watched. It was getting watched and curated and fed. And then it was all of a sudden pediatric offices everywhere were seeing an explosion of TikTok. Oh my goodness. <laughs> excuse me, of ticks in oh, oh my teenage goodness. girls. Oh. Oh my goodness. Terrible. So terrible. Drug of choice. Right. So, okay, so is he right? I mean, it, are screens actually like heroin? Did he convince you? I mean, is that... Oh, yeah. He, when did you he read, me when, when you read, read Yeah, when you read the book? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, and there was one example in particular that I was like, are you kidding me? Um, and my uh, son-in-law, interestingly, right now is in his residency program. Um, he's going into a residency program for anesthesiology. So I, I sent him this information and I said, have you ever heard of this? And you, your mind was blown by it too, Renee, but... Um, had he heard of it? No, he hadn't. But it's an example from the U.S. military. The, it was a military hospital, I believe. And there were burn victims coming in from, you know, mines and different things that had exploded on the field, IEDs. And there was this one soldier in particular who nothing was going to touch it. I mean, a burn... Burn unit is one of the worst places you can be. And it's it's constant. You just know you're going to have to go in there and debride the wound and all this stuff. And it's just hard to handle. Like twice a day. Yeah. It's it's excruciating. Yeah. And the morphine that they were giving him was not touching it at all. So they decided they were going to, they invented this video game called Snow World, which was all about ice. As you can imagine, if you're in a burn unit, you want to have more cooling things. And the soldier would put on the goggles go to play the video game and he was like it was awesome worked worked way better than any morphine drug or opioid that the hospital could have given him as an anesthetic that's crazy so so there's your answer the reason that we're turning to it again and again and again is it's doing these things like that um high dopamine response that we talked about at the beginning or this pain management response that our brain is giving us it's doing really powerful physiological things yeah actual biological effects wow to your body um so if a burn a soldier in a burn unit can get through playing a video game to to numb his pain which is exactly what addiction is all about numbing your pain what do you think a teenage kid who feels alienated or different or whatever well of course they're gonna go play a video game Mm mm-hmm I mean, it's way easier than trying mm-hmm. to go get some alcohol at the corner store when you're not of age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so continuing this line of thought with the military, uh, the author says he got an email in May of 2017 from the director of the Air Force Family Program. She was the clinical director. Mm-hmm. And she wanted him to come and speak to the, these health providers who treat Air Force families. And he, they wanted him to speak on the clinical signs of screen addiction. And he's like, wait, what? 
Right, we're in the airport. Like, these are big boys here. Yeah, and and she said, no, no, we've seen increased issues with gaming addictions in the military parents of young children, and there have been five cases where infants died as a result of physical abuse or neglect related to parents' constant gaming. Right. Gaming was the new drug of choice Mm -hmm. for For soldiers with PTSD. PTSD, right. Uh, And this problem was so significant that Collins told... Cardaris that the Department of Defense had created actually a new designation for the death certificates, death due to electronic distractions, where fathers had been up for days gaming as their babies died of neglect. That's it's, it's really startling. Startling. Um, and the cues for this were interesting. They started to identify airmen with personal hygiene issues as a red flag because um, they don't take care of the house themselves, the kids, or the pets. They don't even stop to go to the bathroom. They pee in the bottle and they drink power drinks while they're sitting there. So it's, they drink the power drink, then pee into the empty bottle. Right. And drink another power drink. Pee. That's so disgusting. Do not take oh showers. Hardly eat. Yeah. And it just becomes their world. And they did this until the the infant died. Right. Five different incidences. Right. And he says in his book, you know, the military, those are the people with the most self-control. Those are the most disciplined. Uh-huh. Um, people and he said you know they're susceptible to this kind of numbing and this kind of addiction then your 10 year old has no chance right he's he's like imagine the rest of us Mm -hmm. who haven't been trained in that level of discipline especially kids especially kids who like they're just trying to figure out the world as we know it Mm -hmm. so what chance do they have against a drug that is this powerful yep yeah, so these are extreme cases, but they just highlight addiction is so incredibly powerful. It's like a tsunami. It's like you can't, you can't, it feels overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And and if you think, you know, that your kid, is, oh, well, not my kid, like we have limits on that or whatever, um, or yourself, I, I don't know. You just don't know what's going to pull that trigger uh, before you introduce, before you let in the tsunami of the smartphone and the computer and the video game and the television and the iPad. And the, I mean, there's, it's just everything, the Apple Watch. It's more and more and more. Um, you don't know what it is that, that might set that trigger off. Do you, do you remember our conversation with David Skidmore where he was talking with the, the counselor of teens who said she won't even see a patient who has screen addiction until they've been off of it for two weeks? Mm-hmm. Because she can't even do anything with their brains. They have to actually have a detox like you would for any other kind of drug. Right. They're not even able to be present and have a real conversation or or to know what they're feeling. Yeah, that's significant. But, you know, okay, beyond infant fatalities to gaming addicted, caused by gaming addicted parents, lots of us are guilty to some degree of distracted parent syndrome. Yeah. Parents who were so distracted by their electronics that they failed to give their children the attention that they critically needed. The father at the airport, whose three-year-old is pulling at his pant leg while he stares down into his glowing palm. Mm -hmm. The mother pushing her stroller across the street with one hand while texting with the other. Or the couple who's binge-watching Netflix while their baby cries in the crib. Mm -hmm. The fact is, when we're distracted by our electronics, we're robbing our children of our undivided attention and the meaningful eye-to-eye contact they desperately need to be emotionally and psychologically healthy and well-adjusted. Right. Now, you're at the end of your day and you've had a long day with your kids and you want to sit and scroll through Amazon? Fine. 
sit and scroll through. I'm like, no judgment there. But if you're actively out with your child someplace, then be actively out with your child someplace. Mm-hmm. And set yourself some limits on, okay, well, I'm only going to do that when the baby's down for a nap or whatever it is. You know what makes my heart so happy? I'm friends with lots of young moms. It makes me so happy when I text them and I have to wait two hours to get a reply. Oh, yes. Because I know they are having boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of them will reply to me during nap time. So I know if I, listen, I'm middle-aged. If I wait to text during nap time, I'm probably not going to (laughs) remember. So I just text and go, I hope they don't text me back if they're with their children. That's right. They can just text me when they're free. Right. Um, It's it's really, I consider that like a pro-parenting move right there. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think, oh, I wish they'd gotten back to me quicker. Right. Or, or when they respond, like, where have you been? Yeah. What's going on? What is the deal with that? You know, if it's. Give them some space. If I need to talk to them right away. Um, I usually just text and say, hey, can you take a call? Mm-hmm. I don't like talking on the phone all that much anyway. So right. I have to decide if it's worth it to yeah. <laughs> actually like pick up the phone and call. But we need to be, we that's the kind of grace we need to be giving each other. Yeah. To release the pressure valve to be instantly available. For sure. Like be with your kids first, be with your family first. Mm-hmm. And then squeeze me in when you can. Right. I'm good with that. Right. Totally good with that. Yes. So, um, I'm not saying like never, never be on your phone or every mother who's out in public with their, on their phone is a terrible mother. We're not saying anything like that. We're just saying pause for a second and look at what it might be doing, especially for the 12 and under crowd. Um, And And, and to yourself. yourself. And yourself. And to yourself. Um, Research by the Boston Medical Center said three quarters of parents use a mobile device continuously while dining out. Not, not picked up a mobile device to check a message. Continuous use mm-hmm. while dining out. And most of those families observed were found to be completely engrossed in their mobile devices, swiping, texting, and ignoring their children altogether. So yeah. again, what are you characterized by? That's the question you go back to again and again. Yeah. What am I characterized by? And and if you really want the answer, if your child is five and up, <laughs> oh, ask them. Oh, she's going to do it, ladies. Ask your child. <laughs> Oh. Hey, do you think I'm on my phone too much? Yeah. Would you rather I not be on my phone as much? Or or how do you think I should use my phone? Ask your five-year-old that. I remember Emma was babysitting for this family. And um, the little girl said, when my daddy comes home from work, he does this. And she took her hand to pretend to hold a phone and did her thumb. Oh. The scrolling thing. And that's what she said her dad did when he come, came home from work. Don't do that. Don't do that. They will tell you. So ask, because you need to know. <laughs> you do need to know. This, this is your like one responsibility for maybe 18 years. Yeah. You need to know the answer to that. There's lots of good things you can do with your phone. Like I can set limits on apps and things about how much I can be on it during yeah. a day. Like you've reached, it'll come, the screen will pop up and say, you've reached your daily limit. Yeah. You know, when I was maybe trying to do 15 minutes of social media time or whatever. And sometimes I was like, where's the override button? You can always override it, but there are ways that you can manage that if you don't trust yourself just to stop. Right. And who, who of us can trust ourselves to stop? Honestly, I mean, given all the data and all the information, uh, and it's really not our fault. Like, like it has been done to us, I believe. And I think we can let ourselves off the hook for that and not just be like, oh, if I was more disciplined or if I was less lazy or whatever, it's really not about that. It's about something that is being done to us as a society. So let yourself off the hook with that. 
and set some limits to help you. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> that was the question he asked in his book. Uh, who is prone to a, to addiction? Well, we're all, obviously, we're all prone to yep. addiction. Now, some of us are set up for failure more than others. We mm-hmm. uh, refer to our adverse childhood event episode. Right. Where if you've had um, particular traumas in your childhood, yeah, you are going to be more prone to things that will numb Mm-hmm. the pain of remembering that but it can also be genetics yep you know you can just have you can be predisposed look at your aunts and uncles Which and is, your grandparents that's why i was saying you really don't know what's going to pull that trigger like if it's in your genes somewhere mm-hmm. something somewhere along the line might turn that gene on that's right so don't give it a chance so trauma abuse your environment it, any of us can have a combination of those things and make us addicted but why do we prefer opium to broccoli or even sugar to broccoli because sugar addiction is a thing too it sure is why do our brains prefer certain substances well there's a biology to addiction which i thought you know i'm not super into the science but i do think it's helpful Mm -hmm. to understand what's happening why we can't control ourselves Mm -hmm. with our screens so it has to do with chemicals Mm -hmm. dopamine is coming into your system which Mm -hmm. is a like a super good feel good um every time you get a hit Every time you feed on that, it's giving you uh, this feel-good thing, like you just said, like sex. Yeah, he calls it the dopamine tickle, Uh huh. which is so interesting. He says, dopamine-activating substances correlates highly with the addictive potential of the substance or behavior. So it's a feel-good neurotransmitter that's the most critical element in the addiction process. When a person performs an action that satisfies a need or fulfills a desire, dopamine is released into the nucleus and a cluster of nerve cells uh, that are, re- are associated with pleasure and reward are activated in the brain's pleasure center. So in simple terms, engaging in a behavior that releases dopamine increases dopamine levels so that your dopamine reward pathway is activated, telling you to repeat what you just did mm-hmm. in order to get that feel-good reward, or what he calls the dopamine tickle, again. So he said it, it was really a survival mechanism. Do this good thing. Yeah. <laughs> again, like eating or having sex, uh-huh. so that um, we remember to do these things mm-hmm. that keep us alive and um, continue having humans on the earth. <laughs> right. But um, the normal, natural kind of activities like eating and sex only come after effort and delay. You got to like find the food. Right. You got to usually cook it a little yeah. bit. You know, you got to convince the woman to have <laughs> sex. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's, That's usually right. the direction that it's going, you know. So, you know, gambling, video gaming, your phone screen, there's not any work no, involved. No, it's super easy. It's way too quick, mm-hmm. way too easy. So that's part of the picture of mm-hmm. addiction, of what's happening. Right. So then there's this other thing, um, like cable insulation on your brain's matter. I know. Where's our neuroscientist oh. Tiffany when we need her? <laughs> she could explain this to us, I'm sure. So... Uh, as we grow and learn, it's called myelin, myelination. So as we grow and learn, that cable insulation increases in areas of the brain that need it. Which is great. Yes, awesome. what you need. Appropriate mm-hmm. stimulation makes like these sled tracks in the snow. So for example, with language, the neural pathways associated with language myelin, myelinate. 
they get more and more insulated and they become hardwired in your brain. So we all know, you know, um, children who are placed in orphanages who are not stimulated. Mm-hmm. They're not picked up. They're not allowed to touch their food. They're not spoken to. These sled tracks in the snow are not being made. They're mm-hmm. understimulated so that um, they don't, their language centers don't develop. Right. Okay. With screens, the opposite is happening. It's overstimulating mm-hmm. our brains. We're creating a way, way, way too many sled tracks. Crazy number of sled tracks in the snow. Wow. Which creates, what does that make happen in your brain then? So he says that the brain imaging they're doing now is showing us that it's not just understimulated neural pathways that can lead to neurological differences and developmental problems, but overstimulation of the glowing, flashing screens of iPads and video games can damage myelin in neuropathways as well. That's because myelin is extremely vulnerable to disruption. The brain cells that produce cholesterol for proper myelination are easily damaged by things like head trauma or environmental stressors or toxins or stress hormones or certain drugs, and they're damaged by overstimulation. Hmm. So uh, our ability to pay attention and focus, ever feel that way, Bonnie? feel that way all the time. Me too. Our ability to feel empathy, our ability to discern reality can be adversely affected by overstimulation during key developmental windows. Right. I mean, look at the explosion. Wow. ADD, ADHD. That's all about overstimulation. Wow. Some of it it is. Yeah. So after he did a study, or there was a study, uh, about what happens after one week of video gaming. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't, I don't want to know this. Okay. <laughs> he said that there were cause and effect brain changes after just one week of video gaming. Measurable brain changes. So they, they took 28 healthy young males, ages 18 to 29, with low past exposure to okay. video games. <laughs> Where did they find them? <laughs> Right, right, right. So they were randomly assigned to two groups of 14. The first group was instructed to play a shooting video game for 10 hours at home for one week and refrain from playing the following week. And then the second group did not play a video game at all during the two week period. And then they went underwent MRIs Mm -hmm. to analyze their brains. And this was at the end of the first week and the end of the second week. The results showed after one week of violent gameplay, the video game group members showed less activation in the left inferior frontal lobe and less activation in the anterior cingulate cortex than in their baseline results. What does that mean? He says, for the first time, we found a sample of randomly assigned young adults showed less activation after a, a week of playing violent video games at home. The affected brain regions are important for controlling your emotions and aggressive behavior. Mm. I know people hate that analogy. Wow. And they hate, <laughs> they think there's all kinds of other great things to go along with video games. And we let our own kids play these video games. I'm just saying. Yeah, we did it. We let them play. So, it wasn't a one week experiment no, with 10 hours of it was gaming. lots of time. We let them play it for years. And did they turn out okay? Yes, they turned out okay. But did that have an effect on them? Like, unquestionably, it, it, it did. obviously did. They're saying that it lowers your ability to have empathy. And what was that? An impulse control? Mm-hmm. Controlling your emo- emotions? So he says, 
yes, if you have some sort of uh, predisposition to addiction or some sort of um, brain injury, it can push you to play video games. But he says the reverse is true, that a healthy young person can have their brain structure changed Mm -hmm. by playing video games. So, okay. So he works with, this author works with, he is an addiction counselor and he works with a lot of digital addiction and he sees the guys who come in who have built their multi-screen, you know, caves, bunkers, whatever it is down in the basement and who sit there hour after hour until 3 a.m. playing these video games. And like you said, he won't even talk to them for two weeks before they come out of there because they're not the same people. They have, they've, right. they have like changed into this other person. So a little bit of timed structured video gaming is probably fine, but just watch it. Just oh my watch goodness. Your limits. And if your child is already showing signs of hyperactivity or aggression or whatever, video games probably aren't for them. No. Sorry. They're just, it's probably not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I think probably we need to address how parents might know when to introduce it. This is a huge question. Um, A lot of beliefs that I hear and I have felt myself. One of them is, like you said before, we live in this technology driven world. So the earlier they learn their way around, the better. You know, it's like a second language. They pick that up easier the earlier you, you introduce it. That's a myth. We're living proof. Our children are living proof of this. Right. They didn't, it wasn't around when they were young. At least not full on 24-7, it wasn't. And and a lot of the apps and things certainly weren't. We didn't have smartphones. Right. So so that was not around. And were they able to learn how to use a smartphone, Bonnie? Our kids run <laughs> circles. They run circles around me with technology. They caught up just fine. Like, yes. I have to tell them all the time, hey, buddy, don't get so snooty about it. I had to teach you to use a spoon for crying out loud. Right. So, right. What she said. Show me how to use this app. <laughs> yeah. So the recommendation is no screens at all. None. Like this goes far beyond the WHO recommendation, but none until age 10. And for some kids with that propensity, and maybe you don't actually know who you are sometimes, even later mm-hmm. is preferable. Like none at all. And that's doable. You know, we did it for hundreds of years. Yeah. And and honestly, if I were doing it again, I would not have allowed my um, teenagers a smartphone. Maybe not until right before they were getting ready to leave the house for college. So maybe that last year before they launched. It's, it's the, the risk benefit to me with access to all of the porn and the, like we just said, the addictive apps and the 97% of kids who are binge watching YouTube or hours on TikTok, the benefits that they can glean from that phone to me are just not worth it. And so I would, I would have delayed that even more and, and just been that mean, uncool parent. As it was, we just made them leave it in the Feel, yeah, I in the feel kitchen. like we were already, they already thought we were the mean uncle parents, but um, I feel like there might be some benefit to coaching them through that while they're still under your household. Yeah, um, yeah. With limits and putting, yeah, for sure, putting it in your bedroom at night, plugging it up, not having it in your room alone, all those things. I mean, you're still, parents who do that are, we did, we still have arguments over it. We still had pushback. We still had crossing the line times all the time. Um, and I'm sure, 100% sure they were exposed to stuff. I had no idea they were being exposed to. And 
that was no good for them. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even, we really hit video games in this episode. We really need to spend some time in the next episode or at some point talking about social media and girls because it is, that is the thing Mm -hmm. that is drawing them in and causing all of this uh, mental illness Mm -hmm. that we're seeing in young women, the anxiety. So for sure, um, I would go way, way slower. I just, I didn't know the dangers of it. And I asked my kids, you know, when you got to college, we homeschooled, right? And mm-hmm. so we we weren't in all of the, we didn't have, they didn't even have a smart board. There was never a smart board in their lives. Um, we had a laptop computer, I guess by the time they were juniors in high school. Um, and then they went to state university and which is all online, right? It's all driven That's right. like online interface with your syllabus and you're checking your grades and registering for classes. And all of that is driven by online. And I said, did you feel like you were behind? Could you navigate that fine? They were like, no, we could t- navigate it totally fine. Yeah. So their ability to learn, you do, you do want to strike that balance of their ability to be able to do, like you said, a PowerPoint mm-hmm. and to be able to navigate online things and to write an email properly that was part of our English mm-hmm. classes you or to what's appropriate to text about and what's not mm-hmm. and what requires a phone call and what's not you need to teach those things but man the pull is to more and more and more yeah it is and it's it, just the gravity we just the gravity is more get off that train if we can we really do um even in middle school at, at the particular school my kids went to um when it was that technology school, like you couldn't get your homework done. If you were in a group project with somebody, you can, you, the only way they communicated, nobody was calling our house phone, our landline. Mm-hmm. The only way they communicated was in a group text. So you couldn't complete the project. You couldn't mm-hmm. complete the assignment. Um, so there was some of that, like, well, like, I guess we have to give in for that. Or driving, mm-hmm. safety, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Although I didn't have a smartphone when I learned to drive. and. No, no. It. You know, a flip phone also works. You can call on a flip phone. Yeah, you can. <laughs> or a, is there a, is there kind of a flat screen phone that's not a smartphone now? Is that is that a thing? Uh, is it only a flip phone like that Grandpa has and and a smartphone? Like I don't know what I don't know what the options are totally. I'm not sure either, but. I know you don't have to have access to the internet and I know you don't have to mm-hmm. have unlimited data. Yeah, and we did. We did take the internet off our teenagers phones. I just remember that when you said that, but they could still text sure. and do all the things. And they're with their friends who have it. Right. So it's not like <laughs> it's right. Not like they can't get to it. That's right. That's right. So that was, that was our question. And that was, that was our, our one of the arguments is like, well, if I don't have a flip phone, I'm going to get left out. And you will, you, you will. If you delay smartphones and social media until their brains can handle it, 100%, they will get left out. What will they get left out of, Bonnie? Well, this is from a a wonderful account on Instagram. Brooke Romney writes, they will be left out of dangerous TikTok trends. They will be left out of Instagram drama, left out of Snapchat nude pics, left out of comparison and body image traps, left out of knowing what every friend is doing without them, left out of mindless scrolling, Left out of living a lot online, left out of porn sites, left out of addictive gaming, left out of inappropriate conversations, possible predators, incessant bullying, sleepless nights, mature shows, endless distractions, and probably some friend groups and cool crowds and funny memes and middle school romances. It's a bummer. Yeah. And, and just becoming a Luddite, you know, 
becoming Amish, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't that doesn't take away all the junk either because we're humans and we're fallen and we can hurt each other in person as well. But it also limits that door that ushers in all of that junk you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of worse things than being left out. And if more parents would choose this path, it would be a little less lonely for kids and parents alike. Maybe even a little bit cool. Right. I, I really think it is. I think we need each other for this. If you are already down this rabbit hole and you think, well, shoot, how do I pull back now? Like we've already allowed all these things. Well, be honest with your child. <laughs> Just say, say it. Gosh, we've done this. We make mistakes. We feel like we made one when we allowed you to whatever. Take your phone in your bedroom. Have a cell phone so early. Whatever. And expect some pushback. That right there, when the kids were little, if they couldn't handle having something taken away, like if I chose breakfast mm-hmm. and they pitched a fit, I thought, oh, well, they're not ready for the freedom of choosing their breakfast food because they can't handle it being taken away. The same thing applies here. Mm-hmm. How much pushback you get if you pull back on this will tell you how addicted your child is. Amen to that. Yes, for sure. Just tell your kid, we see we need to do better. Like it's impossible for any of us to be completely controlled online. Even adults can't stop. (laughs) Everything on our screens was made to be addictive on purpose. And there's no way you have, you have no chance against that. Neither do I. So in order for you to be able to live without that burden, we're going to be making some changes and whatever that is, whether it's installing bark or checking your phone, no social media, whatever your family thinks, just have that conversation. And guess what? You're probably going to have to be accountable to. Yay. Parenting makes you a better person. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. So this is, I think it's so critical and it's such a touchy subject and it's, people just don't want to do it. It doesn't feel good to do it because it doesn't give us the dopamine hit we're used to maybe. There Um, will be a little bit of time. I mean, they talk about that. Addicts talk about, you know, the time where you're unlearning those addictive behaviors and it hurts to stop doing the thing that was giving you that dopamine tickle. But But over time. So replace it with something good. That's right. That's right. Over time, your body can adjust and create new pathways mm-hmm. with new, yeah, dopamine tickles from good things. That's right. When you go from here where you have uh, Wi-Fi to another country or a place that you just, your phone's not working, it takes you a couple days of ah anxious anxiety and you don't know what's going on and no one can get a hold of you. And then you start to chill. And the brain clears. Like it. it does. It totally does. So, yeah, this was our first episode. So good, Bonnie. So much good stuff, but there's more to come. So this was only half of his book. We're mm-hmm. going to we're gonna touch on texting and social media, mass media effects. Um, we're going to talk about uh, outdoor play, which we've touched on in other episodes, mm-hmm. but he says is critical for good health in children, and screens and the educational industrial complex. <laughs> That's right. And there's some other, um, a lot more stuff on addiction in general. Uh, which applies a lot to our tweens and teens. Uh, and also, um, what if, why we're losing our focus. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not alone in feeling like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just fuzzier nowadays. Um, why we're losing our focus and how to get that back. So mm, I want that one. Can't wait to do that one. Yeah. Thanks for listening. 
This is Savannah from Atlanta, Georgia, and one of the moms from Just Ask Your Mom just happens to also be my mom. The resources mentioned on this podcast will be on the website at justaskyourmom.com. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Just Ask Your Mom or on Instagram at Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and leave a review for Just Ask Your Mom. This helps people find the podcast. Better yet, you can subscribe and get a new episode every Monday. And if you have any questions or suggestions for a new episode, send them to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next time on just ask your mom